Hello, everybody, and welcome to the very 166th Shut Up and Sit Down podcast broadcast live from the city of Philadelphia in the convention that is PAX Unplugged. Give yourselves a round of applause, everybody! Thank you so much for coming, everybody, and being patient for 10 minutes while we got our things together. British style. It's been three days. We've been in Philadelphia. Oh boy, is everybody sleepy yet? <laughs> everybody who's sleepy, make a snoring sound now. Oh, that was quite soporific, actually. That I could kind of lovely. sleep. Everybody who's actually asleep, make no noise now. <laughs> Someone just it yelled. Failed. About 70% of the room. <laughs> Uh, the funny thing about this podcast is that Ava and I were playing a really, actually, pretty good game about time travel. Like, yeah. We'll be talking about that in a hot second. Yeah. But we were playing a time travel game called That Time You Killed Me. And then we realized our podcast wasn't at noon, it was at 11. <clears throat> uh, so I don't think that was our fault. I think the game sort of warped the very conception of time and space. And we're not idiots at all. Optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> but we're here now. And that's, that's all that matters, even though it's going to be like a car rolling down a hill with the wheels falling off at every turn. Uh, if you're listening to this at home and this is your very first Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, hi, we're four people. This is a podcast about board games. My name is Quentin Smith, and I like board games. Uh, my name's Ava Foxford, and I, I like board games. I'm Matt, and I like everything. I'm Tom, and I think it's fair to say that board games are cool. I think so. It's, it's, the jury's still out, but the science will get there. <laughs> so let's do a conversation about a board game. What could be more natural? <laughs> Wait, hang on. Oh, do you, no. Matt, do you have the PowerPoint clicker? Yeah, I left it. Uh, okay. <laughs> We're going to start by talking about a board game that you'll see on the screen in a minute uh, called Hummelstrummer, also known as Balloon Race. Hummelstrummer is not German for balloon race. What does Hummelstrummer translate as? Balloon ride. Heaven Stormer. Slightly more aggressive and almost fascistic. Yeah, it did feel like when we saw Hummelstrummer, we realized it meant Heaven Stormer. We were like, is this the kind of board game you find in your great great grandfather? There's a cupboard <laughs> alongside some interesting flags. Are we going to war with heaven <laughs> in this game? Well, I mean, this is a game really that explains itself with this photograph uh, you can see on screen, which I can only describe Quentin looking like a demented nerd baby being fixated <laughs> by three-dimensional plastic balloons. Now, it's, it's cool, though. It's, it's balloons, snakes and ladders, except it's a hidden roll game, right? Yeah. Basically, right. it's actually incredibly tight. And this is here because this is a game um, which is quite old. It's a Parker Brothers game that was released in America and then re-released all over Europe, but has basically kind of faded away. And I think it's a great shame because it has this wonderful kind of naive art style of world fair whimsy and these fantastic, gigantic, baubly balloons that you pick up and move around after rolling a dice. But as Ava said, it's kind of a hidden roll thing. You get a card at the start of the game that shows you three balloons and you're the winner if those three balloons are the first three balloons. Once all of your balloons have gone over, you've won and the game is over. But in between that, it's chaos. <laughs> Would somebody like to, to point out the fact that there is a, a lightning bolt space in the top right corner of here? What does that do again? <laughs> Uh, the lightning bolt, like, so basically the game is you, you roll a dice and you choose which balloon you, get, you move. 
so you can move anything that you want. And you've got the right the number of things, so you have a little puzzle about where they can go. If you drop it on something that is going forward, that's fine. If you drop it on something that's pointing backwards, that means that the next move that balloon makes is going to go backwards. So that's annoying. If you drop it on the lightning bolt space, it goes right back to the beginning. It's been hit by lightning. Oh, no. And it is very easy to move someone else's balloon, except you don't know whose. Uh, except you do when they go, why? <laughs> why would you do that, Quinns? I hate you. This has a wonderful floaty feel to it in the fact that when a balloon that you've moved lands in a space where another balloon is, it just nudges the balloon in that space in that direction one space further. And you have chains of these balloons all bumping into each other in the sky and nudging each other along in a way that I'm pretty sure in real life would be a disaster. <laughs> if now, you find yourself with your friends all in air balloons, please don't do that. But in board game town, it's great. And I think I was really impressed by this as a very simple family game in the fact that you have all the fun of the hubris of the snakes and ladders, but without having a snake right at the end. The lightning bolt yeah. is just close enough to the start, but just far away enough from the start that it feels really bad. But I think one of Quentin's balloons got like lightning bolted three times. Listen, listen. Everyone on the team was like, oh, we're going to talk about balloon ride on the podcast yet. I don't want to, because I think this game is dumb. <laughs> I think it's worth pointing out that like, we played this game immediately after landing in America. Like, we'd just got off a plane and we'd just got to a place. and then So we were in like, like the deepest possible jet lag, and someone was like, hey, balloons, and we all looked at this board and we went, I like these balloons, thank you. <laughs> um, I think it's and, a masterpiece. Yeah, and then... But <laughs> I think it's if you're dumb. a little bit jet-lagged, if you're a little bit tired, if you're a little bit out of it, and you still want to play a game, and you want a game where you're going to be, like, battling with your friends and going, like, this is perfect. It's fine. It's I, fine. You I, know what it's good for, Matt? It's good if you want to play a game where you a balloon, the third balloon of the race crosses the finish line, and you go, I've won! And you reveal your card... <laughs> And then uh, you go, look, because my balloons that I want to win are blue, red, and yellow, and they've all crossed the finish line. And then one of your friends points out, Quinn's, that's orange, red, and yellow. <laughs> oh, no, sorry, it was, it was blue, because the red and yeah, orange are very red close together. There are two blues, the red and orange are almost identical cards. Yeah, this is an So basically, I did win, but then you... It's an old game, it's and it's kind of shocking to see a game where you realize there are all these colors, and there's no patterns on anything. And it's just like, yeah. just put a little crosshatch on the orange <laughs> one. Come on now. But and the it's reason... It's just like, it's not, it's not that it's not colorblind friendly. It's not friendly to anyone who can see colors at all. No, like, no, yeah, yeah, like, it's, it's actively, but maybe that's I wouldn't even describe it as friendly. <laughs> <laughs> to, to be fair, Quinns was very, very salty about the orange-red distinction, but talking about the distinction between the red and orange balloon was like 25% of the whole teach yeah. of the game. <laughs> it was when it was, when he, yeah, it was like, it was so much of the teach was be careful, red and orange look very similar. <laughs> but only because we started late and because we have some uh, actually good games. Or like, hey, 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 That you can actually buy. Yeah, yeah you all can't, right. You can't but buy that this. Is that we have a wider remit than that. And I'm mentioning this because this is the sort of game where I want Candyland wiped from existence. And this, why can't we buy this everywhere? Because <laughs> no. this is a family game that's super dumb and super light and everyone can play and it's great. I actually do agree with that. So I, Parker Brothers. Get, you, get the brothers together and roll out. Get the brothers together? You think it's like <laughs> Ghostbusters? Park your bros. Yes. Parker Brothers only publish games when the two brothers like unite. Like, okay. Uh, okay, now, now for a game that's, that I'm actually excited about. So, um, there's a new release from Pandasaurus here, about, here at PAX Unplugged called That Time You Killed Me. And uh, we tried to take a photo just before the podcast, and as you'll see on the screen, the box lid fell over and didn't crush the game. Uh, but uh, more importantly, I crushed Ava while we were playing uh, That Time You Killed Me. 
<laughs> Whoever laughed really loudly at that, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk after the show. <laughs> <laughs> so That Time You Killed Me is a time travel uh, battle game for two players. Um, this is a game where you've got three boards representing the past, the present, and the future. And they look like chess boards, but they're not. They're the past, present, and the future. It looks like an abstract game. It's not it's a time travel game, let me tell you. Um, it's not. It's an abstract it's game. An abstract it's game. an abstract it's game. Definitely an abstract definitely game. An abstract game. So the way that this works is you each start with one sort of um, pawn that looks kind of like a chess piece, um, each in on one of the three boards. So you each have yourself in the past, yourself in the present, and yourself in the future. The object of the game is to have... Ooh, okay, so the plot is that... Oh no, time travel, this is hard. The plot is that you and your opponent are both the same person arguing that you were the one who invented time travel and the other one is an imposter. So for that to be true, you decide, I'm going to erase my, uh, this other person from existence. And so you win the game if you have erased them in two of the three states of past, present, and future. So if your opponent only exists in the future, that's... Fine, apparently. I don't know. Look, the point is, on your turn, you're gonna uh, have, you're gonna choose one of, like, either the past, present, or the future. You're gonna pick one copy of yourself in that timeline, and then you're gonna do two actions, which might be moving or going backwards or forwards in time. Now, you can eliminate your opponent by bumping them off the board, or if you bump them into a copy of themselves, that causes a paradox, and both copies of them are removed. Um, however, where this gets really messy is, of course, you have three pawns, right? Past, present, and future. Is any of this making sense, Matt and Tom? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, it's fairly okay. standard, like, you know, you've had a disagreement, you have to erase the other person in the future, the past, or the present. In the it's fairly standard bickering. Happens yeah. all right? the time. Exactly. Yeah. Great. So um, the main thing is that with the two actions you can take, you know, you can move forward or you can move left. You can go forward in time, at which point you pick up that pawn and move it onto the same space in the future. But if you move into the past with an action, because, oh, crikey, because if you move into the past, that version of yourself in the past is going to age and go into the future. When you travel into the future, you leave a duplicate of yourself on that same space in the future. So if I'm in the present and I jump into the past, I just duplicated myself because now in the present, there's the present me and the older version of the... Honestly, I was learning the rules of this game and I don't know if it even makes sense no, in, I don't in know. time That's travel fiction. No, I don't know. That's not how time travel works. No, no, I think, I think, I think it could. Like, I, now I understand why you only go like one phase forward when you, when you move back and then there's an older version of you. But then that older version of you is going to die before the like, future Right, 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 right. So, yeah. Maybe. So is it, it like when sense. you go back in time, you're cloning yourself into the past, but then you go forwards, you're like... Moving? Yes, no. yes, that's yes. Teleportation versus cloning? Is it no, the way around? Teleporting means that you're in the. T oh, it's all a bit. It's been such time. a long time since I did my time travel degree. <laughs> uh, it's really just fuzzy. The point is, the point is, it's really quite a neat and interesting abstract, uh, partially due to a very boring rule that makes the entire game interesting, which is that when you select past, present, or future to move a pawn in, you then have to select the timeline, the, the past, present, or future you're going to move in next turn, and it can't be the same. So if you have something really exciting happening in the present, you can't move the present, you have to move either the past or future next turn, and then you can go back to the present. So you might be having this massive brawl in the future, but you, have, you can only visit there occasionally. Yeah, and it's like you're setting something up for the next turn, but the next turn isn't the next turn. The next turn has to be something different that you're doing somewhere else. We're doing such a good job of explaining this. This is, this is amazing. It's great, we do, we are. We're we'll doing okay. I think it's quite good. Oh, that was really pathetic. I know. It's like the worst high five I've done all Look, weekend. Here's the last thing I'll say about uh, That Time You Killed Me. Avery and I have only had a brief play. I think it's a really interesting abstract. But what's really cool is that the box comes with four packs that are like chapters, and each chapter introduces different rules that are like little legacy components. So the first chapter that Avery and I played uh, introduces this idea of seeds. And if you plant a seed in the past or the present, 
it doesn't do anything, but it creates an incredibly poisonous, deadly bush in the next, like, sort of, like, era over. And in the, if you place it in the past, you get this deadly bush in the present, and in the future, you get a huge, massive, dangerous tree you can knock over. But anyone can yoink the seed back out of the ground in the past, and those dangerous elements disappear in the present and future. That's so cool. It's pretty cool. It's also, I think it's worth noting that all you are doing in order to kill people is just like trying to squish them against the wall. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like just such an adorable little that idea. You're kind fun. of doing a weird sumo push thing. It's like, it's proper like, um, you know, cartoon slapstick time yeah. travel. Yeah. Where you go through time and space to then push someone off a cliff. Time travel, <laughs> time travel, tree, sumo wrestling. Easy. Couldn't have said it differently. I can't uh, believe we wasted all that time explaining it when we could have just said that. I know. I will say that time you killed me is available to play and demo now at the Pandasaurus booth here at PAX Unplugged. Mm. And another game which is available to play and demo and buy at PAX Unplugged is Ducks in Tow. Now, this is a game that me and Ava played, uh, which I think mainly just really surprised me by being tons crunchier um, than I was expecting for a game about walking around through a nice little park and having ducks follow you around. Mm. For a game about kidnapping ducks. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, adopting. Yeah, the adoption mechanic, we'll come back to in a moment, I think. It's quite interesting. Um, this is a game where you have a kind of strange 3D plastic meeple that has uh, connected to their feet this weird sled of translucent plastic which you can slot ducks into to give the impression of the fact that you're being followed by these ducks when of course as Ava's correctly pointed out you've kidnapped them <laughs> you've glued their little quacky feet into oh the sled oh my god you've actually got a little translucent no, thread I'm sorry <laughs> that's me being it's been three days I get dark I apologise <laughs> no they just follow How's you around how's it for capitalism Matt yeah, it's not um, so Effectively, you have to go around the board and take ducks where they want to go. You have a hand of cards, which basically says, like, a, a white duck and an orange duck want to go to the koi pond or to the apple orchard or the berry bush. And so you look on the board and you think, okay, well, there's some ducks. I could go and get that duck to follow me, that duck to follow me, and drop them over there. But wait, a duck will not follow you unless you give it a snack. <laughs> a delicious little seed. Two but Mars bars? Two or three Mars bars. Exactly. <laughs> but wait... Each duck has a different kind of coloured seed that they will only eat. They're such fussy ducks. They're fussy ducks. Um, They're such dussy... Wait. Dussy... No. Yeah. <laughs> so, you will basically pull these seeds out and you have a bag of seeds, you collect them, you spend the seeds to get the ducks to follow you and then you drop off the ducks at the desired location and then the ducks are redistributed onto the board with an additional duck from the bag, which I guess has just heard, like, there's humans around giving out seeds, you've got to get down here, they get on the phone, and they're like, you've got to come down, there's no <laughs> with seeds, this is wild. Um, so the board gets filled up with more and more ducks, and so far, this sounds nice and gentle, right? Easy, fun, light? Yes. But... Oh. <laughs> these cards that have the ducks on, each of them have the same four ducks in order, like white, orange, brown... And you basically then, whenever you finish one of these cards by delivering the ducks or dropping off what you want, you put the card either to the left or right of the cards you already have, and it builds out this tableau of ducks in a row. This is clearly a game that wanted to be called Ducks in a Row, um, but couldn't because there was already a game that's called Ducks in a Row. And I respect the fact that we found ourselves constantly going, you've got to get your ducks in a row, <laughs> and which was like, nice. But then you've got, you get scores at the end by how many in a row on these cards of each type you can get. So you're trying to basically build these solid lines 
whilst doing a delivery mechanics of delivering the right things to continually build lines. But then you can adopt ducks to fill the gaps in these lines to wait, score wait, more points. You're yeah, telling me this is Duck Excel? Kind of. But Excel is not a program in which you try and get lots of things in a row. Oh, that's how I use it. Yeah. <laughs> this company has seen my Excel work. Explains <laughs> why we were late to the podcast. <laughs> Matt, I don't Matt. get. I don't get what's wrong. There were numbers in all of the boxes. <laughs> Matt, Matt, tell him about the pivot tables. <laughs> oh. <laughs> So, again, this was the point where my head exploded into the thing of realizing that, okay, you build this tableau of cards that have all of these ducks and duck gaps that you have to line up, and then there's a selection of, of, of translucent duck outline shapes, which you can claim as individual bonuses during the game, and then overlay onto your little tableau of cards to show that you have achieved that shape on your board of ducks. But then those can't be overlapped. So it's like you're playing this like quite complicated shape-based puzzle and a resource transit thing. Yeah. I mean, the thing with that is that the, 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 the transparent bits can be overlapped. Yes. But you've got to make them interlock. So the things that it's making you score interlock in a way. So you've got, you've got this weird like puzzle duck matrix thing going on. Yeah. Duck matrix it's, printers. I it like was that. like ducks within <laughs> ducks. It was a thing of being, but then I can overlap that into this and maximize this duck matrix. Okay, I have a question. So this, this obviously looks incredibly... Only one? <laughs> <laughs> this obviously looks incredibly sweet, um, but now you're describing it as quite crunchy. What kind of weight uh, is it? What, what level of, like, I'm going to say Euro game, you know, would it compare to in terms of complexity so that people know whether it's for them or not? I mean, it's not super heavy, but I think it was just like you could move things around and have a nice time, but it just felt like the scope for doing things and kind of a next level level was yeah. quite high, especially as we realized that if you couldn't find the duck that you wanted, then you could basically shake the bag of ducks as an action and pull a duck out <laughs> to see what kind of duck you are. And then if you had the right kind of seed to feed that duck, it would follow you. Otherwise, it would just turn up and be like, oh, you haven't got a Mars bar, oh, yeah. and wander off <laughs> and someone else will have them. But again, we realized that because you could see what ducks were on the board, you had a really good sense of the probability that, of what kind of duck you were going to get just at a visual glance. Yeah. So there was just a ton more going on with this than I than expected. I think it wasn't like amazing. Some of the iconography on the cards yeah. was not like quite there. I was going to say that like basically anyone could play this if they could get their head around the iconography and remember all of the options you've got on your turn and how those processes work. But like if you look at it and you games a lot, then you have a load of crunchy things that you can get really into. Like, I kind of forgot about the duck matrix until the very end. Yeah. Um, How could you? Classic. <laughs> no. Um, and then fair, when I remembered it, Avid, I was like, ooh, yeah. this, is, this has got bite. This is this yes. real bite here. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think for me as well, like, I found myself pleasantly surprised and had an interesting fun time with it. And I'm somebody who honestly is not really into tweed cute stuff. And I, I, ducks, take them or leave them. That's but, why you don't like Tom, is that right? He's not. Because he's a duck. <laughs> Tom, are you a duck? I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, Scooby Doo moment. <laughs> He's a big duck. Where are they? Time to leave town again. Um, so I think the little screen printed wooden ducks are very classy, very nice, very cute. And I just think if it's the sort of thing where you've got a love for cute twee things and slightly crunchy games, definitely worth a look. And the adoption mechanic was hilarious. You just needed two ducks, one of which you keep and the other one... You throw away. <laughs> this is like, I don't think this is how it works. That's the moral of the podcast. You can take the ducks from the park. They are free. <laughs> but you no, must you discard one into a bin. Oh, the duck. 
Anyway, let's talk about going to the beach. Oh. <laughs> Quinns loves the beach. Uh, Tom, would you like to describe uh, to the people at home the picture we're looking at now? Yeah, we're looking at a copy of Strand Unter. Uh, this is a game about building sandcastles on the beach. You're the most competitive children ever. Oh, I don't think you're children. Okay. I, think, I, well, I think you're adults who are like... Just have it like kids are watching as these adults sternly build sandcastles. You're like yeah. extreme sandcastle builders. Children don't take building sandcastles seriously enough, and everybody who's an adult who's been to the beach knows that is true. The noises that we were making playing this game prove we were taking it exactly as seriously as it should be taken. <laughs> um, this is, I, I guess, you're like sandcastle daredevils. Yes, uh, you're trying to build your sandcastles <laughs> as close to the water as possible uh, in this bizarre sort of like competition. Basically, what you're seeing here is like a sort of ridged board where normally there's a blue cloth that gets dragged over the whole thing to represent Dasi. Uh, and as the game goes on, the cloth gets moved backwards and shells get deposited into those little troughs where the sandpiper sits. <laughs> and then players will sort of reveal these shell dials that show how many shells they want to scoop from each row in order to build their sandcastles with the twist that if two players reveal the same number or type of shells, so if both me and Quinns went, I want two of the same, we both get nothing. Um, and there's also this weird mechanic where it starts off like you can get one shell, and then it's like two of the same, or three different, or whatever, as it goes up, and then the last one is five shells, and you're like, oh, I want five shells. But everyone else gets to take their options first, yeah. and if you can't take your full option, you get nothing. It's just greed. It's just pure greed. You go, oh, I desperately want you know three black shells this turn, and then, but it, uh, the, the more you the more you ask for, the more of the chance you'll get nothing. It never happens. It's, it's just pain. So I'm fascinated by this because this is one of the, the few board games I've ever seen which is ridged for pleasure. How does it work <laughs> regarding the, you have the cloth on top covered in the shells. Yep. Is there some sort of mechanic where early on you're like hoping or gambling that the shells are going to fall into a certain space? Is there an element of being like gambling on, I want them all to land in the middle, please? No. Okay. Is it completely random where they fall? Yes. No, there's nine. The way there's no, you get depending on the player count a certain number of shells in each ridge, but you don't know what colours they'll be until they're revealed by the tide slowly. I going. see. Oh, so they've been shuffled in and they've been then shuffled the in, like pulling back. Exactly. So it's more of a curtain. Yeah, yeah. I was imagining it being a kind of magician's tablecloth, like kind of. Like, <laughs> ta da! Ah, uh, no, it, it moves. It's actually quite cute. The 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 sea cloth thing has a piece of wood in it. They're called towels. That hooks. <laughs> kind of like a curtain. <laughs> the sea cloth is a towel. Great. Um, it has a piece of wood in it, and there's two, these two little sort of like um, claws on either side of the board. So you sort of unhook it like you would a curtain or something, and then you move it one ridge back, and then there's nine new shells. <laughs> Making this sound very... All right. But the important thing is, is that the sea will go fully out, and each row gets you points based on what kind of... So if you build a three-point sandcastle in the seventh row, you get ten points. But the sea will go fully out, and then it starts coming back in. <laughs> and that's when all the hubris happens, because slowly each player's like high-scoring castles they've built right next to the ocean after saving all their shells, boof, just get completely washed away as the sea comes in. And it's horrible. Like The end score in this game was like, I got one point, because my, my castle was in row zero, and it was one tall. I'm just stuck imagining you in Aviators in some sort of Jaws-style film just about the tide. I mean, like, looks like it's coming back for more points. <laughs> Get the buckets. <laughs> it's the absolute worst because the, the timer for what causes the end of the game is when someone has built their fourth sandcastle, right? You have a, you have a rubbish sandcastle and they get better and better and the three-point sandcastle is really quite 
cool. Um, but because if players keep like going for like, if Tom and I keep going, okay, we're both gonna go for four shells. Oh no, we get no shells. You are delaying the end of the game, which means the sea is gonna reclaim more of the sand, which means the more players like bicker and panic and try and build quickly, the longer the game's gonna be and the more the sea is gonna reclaim the sand. Um, I thought Strandruta was cute. I would not necessarily, I thought it was fun, I thought it was a novelty. If you get a chance to play Strandunter, this is my hot take, I think go for it. I wouldn't choose to buy it. I think it's a good game for kids if the lesson that you want to teach the kids playing is greed is bad. <laughs> Which yeah. is a good lesson, yeah. I guess. Unless you're exactly greedy enough and then you are the winner. <laughs> I feel like the fundamental beach lesson is if everybody works together to make one big sandcastle, then it's the best. And if everyone tries to make their own, then you make a disappointing one and the sea takes it. But if you make them big enough, the sea cannot have it. <laughs> Next no up. one's into sandcastles. Am I the only no one, Sorry, no one's... Into, you're not, not describing so a sandcastle, you're describing masonry. <laughs> what's, I mean, at scale, what's the difference? Is no one else here a sandcastle, Stan? Has no one else made a sandcastle that's like bigger than <laughs> Has no one else made a humans? sandcastle that still stands to this one, day? One person who's... If you make them good enough, you can come back two days later and you'll still have a lump that is, was the sandcastle. <laughs> and that's kind of something, all right? Uh, oh! uh, <laughs> next up, we're going to talk about a game by Indie Boards and Cards called Scapegoat. Now, Charlotte Zidane has been arguing about this game all week. <laughs> well, it was just the, otherwise the game known as Quinton goes, what's going on? <laughs> I had a blast playing this. Uh, would someone like to talk about it or should I take it? You go for it. Okay. Tell us about Scapegoat, sweet Quinton. Scapegoat is a game where you are all goats and you've done a heist because that's what goats do. Um, unfortunately, I don't know if you know what scapegoats are, apparently it's the goat who does a heist who you then blame the crime on. <laughs> so the way that this works is it's an entirely cooperative game where everybody works together to frame someone, except secretly one player around the table is only thinking they're working to frame someone because actually everybody is trying to frame them. And who was that? Doesn't matter. Actually, no, it does matter, because I won. Ah. You all tried to pin a crime on me, and I went to the cops and said, please, police, they're trying to kill me. And then you all went to prison. Nobody likes a rat. <laughs> you were literally goat. trying to frame... Okay, whatever. Look, we, can t we can discuss the ethics of framing goats another day. But the way this works is at the start of the game, um, all the players, uh, you roll a couple of dice, and then all the players flip over their cards and uh, cross-reference the numbers. If you roll a 10 and a 9, you look that up in the row in the column. And then all the players but one will see the color of one player. So in our game, everyone saw green, which was my color. So everyone around the table knew they were trying to frame me, and I saw purple, which was Matt's color. And I thought, okay, we're all trying to frame Matt, cool. And, and, and the way this manifested was sort of made the game a bit of a wash because on the first, very first turn <laughs> of the game, I looked at Matt and sort of like signaled over at Quinn's. And then <laughs> as I was signaling over at Quinn's, Quinn's looked at me and I looked back to Matt to confirm, which Quinn's took as me looking at Matt, which is what Quinn's thought the scapegoat was anyway. And Matt understood that I was looking at Quinn's, who we knew was the scapegoat. Whereas I went, oh, cool, it's definitely Matt. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so you had so much faith in that, that even though everyone was being really suspicious and not helping you do anything in any way whatsoever, yeah. you just assumed that everything was fine. What did you yeah. describe it? Like, hey, like but you nobody were... gave you... You have options to do different things. Like you can give another player a card and they give you one back. Like, but like, oh, yeah, let me, let me finish the teach. Cause... Yeah. So um, but you have five different actions you can take. And the way that the game works is when everyone, everyone has a hand of three cards and there is one action that people can take to prepare and then eventually pin the crime on the scapegoat. And 
you do that, you go to that space, and then all the players will simultaneously reveal a card from their hand, and ideally, you all reveal the color of the player you're trying to frame. Um, except for the player you're trying to frame, obviously, who's completely in the dark. Um, however, if you all reveal, and as happened in our game, it was green, 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 purple, because our friend Pete could not get my color, then I went, oh god! And that was my, like, you didn't win, but then I knew you were all trying to pin it yeah. on me. Yeah. So the rest of the actions relate to uh, putting, picking up face down cards in the middle and putting another card down, trading cards with another player, or peeking at another player's hand, which is obviously very frightening if you're trying to pin the crime on someone, and that person then might look at your hand and see, oh, why are you collecting my color? And there was, there was a long stretch in that game where I was holding three green cards and was sweating <laughs> bullets hoping that Quinns wouldn't look at my hand and be like, that seems pretty suspicious. <laughs> but then for the whole game, I was basically being like a distributor of those cards. Like each turn I'd be like, take a look at one of these. Yeah. And then pick it up and then I was slowly dishing them out. And that was fun until we didn't do it anymore. Yeah. Anymore. yeah. I mean, mechanically, the thing that makes it, because it sounds in a way like it would be quite easy for everyone just to make sure that everyone had the right card and then do it, which is what we thought happened. But the, the rub, which is quite interesting, is it, because these cards are not just single characters, it's not just like you have an orange goat or a red goat, they often have multiple goats on the cards. And when it comes, at the end of your turn, you have to basically put one, take one of the cards from your hand and swap it with the card in the location swap that you're at and if any of those cards have your color on them then you must discard them and it means sometimes the only card you might have that has the correct color on also has your color on which means you can't keep it so there was an interesting element of like there's tons of social deduction based on what was happening on the table um, but then also within the rules you are allowed to basically do or say anything around the table as it goes which for me for my money kind of muddied it a bit too far I kind of prefer either or are we going full bullshit magician here or are we going to be like deduction and or are we going to focus on the card play and yeah. the actions that people take but yeah. it was it was interesting I think I, I enjoyed this more than the rest of the team we need to play scapegoat more to see exactly how good it is but yeah. what it was really really good at is it's a, it is literally a game where everyone is told you're working together with everybody else and then just the incredible broiling pot of paranoia that becomes because the moment you don't understand anything you go from okay we're all working together to they're all out to get me to no, we're working together. No, they're out to get me. They're out to get me. <laughs> but it's funny because this is the experience that Quinn's had where meanwhile, from the very start of the game, I was like, oh, well, we're going to frame Quinn's. I guess I'll just wait here until we <laughs> just ship it to the police. But it's the fact that Quinn's was having that exact same experience. Yeah. Wrong me. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. I find, I, you know, we're like social deduction, I feel like as a genre, it's easy to get burned out on after a few years. This felt fresh to me. I don't know how good it is, but the freshness was really nice. It's I, a novel. I kind of worry that like, I, th I think this, this, we had a lot of fun with it and I just worry that um, I worry that there's only like a couple of times this is going to be great I think you may like, have one brilliant game of this and a couple of good games of this and unless you've got like completely fresh groups yeah I think that it's it's not going to have a whole load of replay. But we don't know because we have only played yeah. it once. So my, maybe maybe I'm missing something. That my single like, game boom. gut said some interesting ideas, not great game. Yeah. But who knows? We don't. Um, We're not professionals, no. so it's fine. However, this banger. <laughs> Doodle Dash. This is it's quite similar to lots of other drawing games because drawing, let's be real, it's a pretty universal experience. Um, the way this game works is one player has to close their eyes and say a number from one to seven, and then there's a card that everyone else sees, and they have to draw that thing um, quickly. And then basically, the person with their eyes closed says, go, keeps their eyes closed for the whole thing, which at a convention when you're quite tired is both a treat and a risk. Um, <laughs> 
Everyone then has to draw that thing as quickly as they can on their board, with the, the trick of it being that you draw it very quickly, and the first person who decides they've finished their picture flips over their board so they can't touch it anymore and grabs a giant golden rod. Yeah. Jungle speed style. Grabs a piece of wood, which then means that they are first. The second player, right, what do you get coming second? And everyone thinks, like, that's going to be a fun thing, isn't it? It's the worst thing you could imagine. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody want to explain the second prize? You get a dice, and on that dice, there are six faces. And one face says, stop the round, and the others are all blank. And you have to roll that dice until you get the the round is over face. Yeah. Which means you're just sat there going, no, 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 no. As like, as all the, because you know, obviously, if, if it's a game about speed, some of the, the, the great thing about the drawings in Doodle Dash is you might have drawn like a barber in four seconds. <laughs> and then meanwhile, if you grab the dice, other people are just drawing these increasingly ornate, elaborate, draw, they're adding details, they're giving the barber eyebrow. And at the yeah. same time, you're looking at yours and it's just getting worse and worse. <laughs> <in a second. laughs> like, I regret what I've done here. Well, you know, because you, as soon as you take the dice, you have to flip your drawing over. It's more the memory of your drawing it starts to settle into your brain and you actually realize what you've done. <laughs> and you're, like, you're almost afraid to turn it over and really look at what yeah. you've done. Um, we played it with... Oh, wait, so we should explain. Then once the round yeah. is fully over, um, the person who had their eyes closed, who hopefully isn't asleep at this point, um, then first, you because rev- all the boards are face down, you, of course, reveal the board of the person who drew the quickest, yeah. and the person who had their eyes closed has to try and guess what on earth they were drawing. Those first boards are amazing, because it's usually like three lines. <laughs> um, and they'll be yeah. like, is that, is that a bicycle? And the word is like, you know, like vegetable or something. So but then the person who picked up the dice, who finished second... You look at theirs, and if that was still wrong, every other player flips over their board at the same time. Yes. In an eight-player game, that's amazing because you get five horrible drawings <laughs> all revealed simultaneously. It's a proper risk-reward, like trying to work out the optimal way of doing it in the fact that being the person who gets to flip their thing first is huge if you've done a really good job. If you haven't, it's useless. <laughs> the only saving grace is you don't have the stress of having to roll the dice. <laughs> but, you know, coming second with the dice... Still, if you've got loads of players, that might be your only chance to like reliably do well. But the fact is that if you don't, everyone flips it. And then if they guess at that point, then everyone else, apart from the first and second person, everyone gets a point. Which means really the only reason you want to be first or second is if you, to get ahead. Because otherwise you are just going to have this... But if you're always trying to get ahead and failing again and again, you're just going to be in last place. So I couldn't work out how to play this game in a way that was quite exciting. <laughs> but it's to like, clarify, the, the funny thing is just that because it's drawing as quickly as possible, all the drawings are awful, which yeah. is so funny. Matt drew a fox and started with the tail. And it was the, from left to right, it was just this beautiful fox tail with like shading wow. and a, well, yeah. okay, yeah. But then just the animal got increasingly like devolved until by the end it was just like this angular triangle rat. If anyone's seen that meme of the horse drawing with the well-drawn legs, and then the, it was like it was that, but worse overall in every regard. Um, but I mean, you can, for those of you who are here and can see on the screen at the moment, we have this. If you might be able to guess, can we get a shout from the audience what you think this is? It's a dentist. Oh which... right, and is that not because of my beautiful dentist on the bottom? <laughs> oh really? Oh okay. 
uncertain. The All scaling right. of that made me think, if I'd seen Quinzes correctly first, it's a very large pair of jaws and somebody appears to be holding like some lollipops running away. <laughs> I thought that would, I would have guessed Jurassic Park for that. <laughs> uh, but in, in this round, Ava somehow won with the drawing on the top left. <laughs> immediately guessed dentist from that. Yeah, because it was a, a little, it, really clearly. it was a medical cross and then six things that looked a bit like teeth. And it's like, what's medical teeth? It's a dentist. Oh, but I had a real habit of like, thinking that I was being really clever by being a bit symbolic and then just like completely ruining it. But like, yeah. the one thing I do want to say though is that like, I've, I've written a bit before about how like closing your eyes in board games is a really like unusual moment. Mm. You don't close your eyes when you're doing things with people socially very often. And like this has some of the best eye closing in games I've ever had. Yeah. And I was initially like, oh no, that's too long to close your eyes. You've got to wait for people to draw. You've got to wait for people to look at the thing. Like that's, that's, that's too long. It's not too long because you can hear everything that is going on and people are getting so angry. It's, and it's, it's not a, games where you get people going, ah! I, it's, I, it's, I, it's having your eyes closed and hearing all of your friends giggle and then you hear the, yeah, it of was, the <laughs> dice rolling. I, I love just hearing Quinns go, what the heck? <laughs> and it was just like four minutes of going, ah! <laughs> like trying to run. Because it's like you roll it and maybe roll it first time. It's like, oh, the round's over immediately. Or maybe you give everyone else 30 seconds. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, I, I thought the, the lovely thing about this is it almost got around the problem of people being good at drawing and the fact that because it puts you into panic mode, you start drawing before you've thought about what you're going to do. <laughs> and you, your, your confidence doesn't have time to be dulled by a moment to think about it. And so you just go, yep, great, flip it. And then you and just go, then what have confidence. I done? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is a kind of ex good example in the fact that, actually, to be fair, Tom, as the most artistic uh, the abilityed person of the team did a tailor by simply a picture of a jacket, uh, arrows to dictate length and width, and then a tiny pair of scissors in the corner. And that's so obviously, he won this round, Quinn's flipped that over, and it's like, Taylor. Meanwhile... Wait, hang on, I do like an entire <laughs> Dickensian man with a bowler hat. <laughs> Who looks like a cat. <laughs> no, he's bending down to measure your legs. No, that's a cat with something dangling from it. Oh, no. <laughs> All right, it does look like a tailor who's maybe uh, squeezed one out accidentally. <laughs> so, it's not ideal. But again, like... I've gone the extra mile. You can tell it to Taylor because he's got a little hat. <laughs> the hat was crucial. <laughs> yeah. Can I help you today, sir, madam? I'll measure your legs. You want a shorter no length? Who are you? You haven't got a hat. <laughs> oh, I'm terribly sorry. You? you haven't got a hat. Also, you've soiled yourself. <laughs> <laughs> if you spend so much time on your knees, it's a thing that can happen. <laughs> Would you be interested in seeing the three pieces? <laughs> okay, let's move on. <laughs> This is so much more sensible than the last one. I don't know how I'm going to do this. Um, I played a game this weekend with Matt um, and with uh, the designer, Steve Finn. Uh, Dr. <coughs> Finn, sorry. Dr. Finn of Dr. Finn's Games. Um, and it's a sequel slash roll and white version of uh, one of my favorite, like, spicy, sharp card games ever, maybe? Yeah. And talking of spicy, I did notice that the art in the game and the dice, gorgeous. The box, however, some of the artwork, a bit wild and there's a dice on the front that has nipples. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, the dice in the box do have nipples. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. they've been like, they've been played so the caveat packs on have been played so much they've been worn away. They've been worn away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so Bibliosocrum and Parchment, we're going to get really hyped right now because this is a game about monks. Woo! Monks, monks who monks, run monks. libraries. Woo! 
I actually used to be a librarian, so I've got a big soft spot for libraries. So maybe, has maybe it, this is has terrible. Has it got a like monk track? Much. Has it got a monk track? Baby, it's got two. <laughs> <laughs> um, not quite, actually. One of them is called the Chapel Track, but we were introduced to the Chapel Track, and I said, because we keep on saying, oh, every Euro game has got to have a monk track. You can't have a game without a monk track. Um, and so we looked at the chapel track and I was like, oh yeah, look, it's the monk track. And then the next bit that we were taught was What's the monk the track. Monk track. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh no, I've made this confusing. Those dice look nice. The dice, dice are, are gorgeous. They are wooden. And they have the look of being like wooden and etched to the point yeah. that actually I misremembered that they were when I was talking about it the other day. And then looked at them again. I'm like, no, they're screen printed. But they're screen printed with a style that makes you feel like you are playing with ancient wooden dice. Yeah. Which is yeah. huge for a game where you're mainly rolling dice. Yeah. It is, it is. And so Biblios is a card game where you do other version of Biblios is a card game where you are having like an, a weird sort of collecting cards game where you work out what you're going to have and how much money you're going to have to pay for the second phase, which is an auction. And Biblios Quill and Parchment does that same thing. Like you've got a first bit where you're rolling dice all through the game. You're just rolling dice. Wait, is that true? Yeah. Yeah, you're rolling dice the whole time. The first bit, you're rolling dice to get a set and like there'll be some numbers and there'll be some monks and there'll be some colors and you roll and you're allowed to just put one aside and re-roll then you're allowed to put one aside and re-roll and that gets you some stuff and you just keep on doing that and this is kind of like setting up the second more interesting half of the game because the numbers are giving you influence or money that you're going to be spending later the monks are moving you up the monk track and cool. the colors are giving you uh books books about different things and that's pushing you up tracks and that's where all of the points come from yeah. that's where most of the points come from so the like, books, can you have more of this book you can than see anyone else? like uh, if you can see the image of this basically that there's a bunch of different colors of dice that all do different things and the kind of plain wooden dice that have uh, the screen printed colors on determine like getting more books and at the end of the game the people with the most of each of these types of things and second most are going to get points based on a track of other colored dice there's other colored dice with numbers on which are purely there to represent the values of having most of those things at the end of the game. So you're spending the first half of the game trying to get these resources to get yourself in the lead for these colors, yeah. trying to get the money you're going to need to be doing well in the auctions in the second half of the game, and then obviously walking around a monk track because you've got to walk around a monk track. you got to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But then it's like... The thing about this, we say the first half of the game and the second half of the game. It's unbelievable how fast this is, right? Yeah, Eva? yeah, yeah, yeah. We were literally like saying, like, right, we don't have a huge amount of time. Can you just show us like two turns of the first bit and two turns of the second bit so we can get it in our heads? And like halfway through the second turn, we were just like, wait, we're gonna be able to finish this yeah, game that's basically in the game. time we were expecting. Because you just like roll, do, roll, do, roll, do, and then you flip and you're suddenly doing auctions. And now the money that you were building up in the first half of the game just starts pouring down and you're just bidding, silent secretly bidding, saying, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to say 12, you're yep. going to say 11. Uh, the person who's played the game before is going to play bid naught and like be like, oh, wait. <laughs> yeah, make us feel like absolute proofs. Like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm being swindled by the monks again. Yeah. But all you're, all you're collecting in those auctions <laughs> is the same dice that you were working over in the beginning. So you don't have to learn like a new mechanic at mm -hmm. this point, really. You're just being like, right, now we're auctioning these dice instead of re-rolling them to figure out what you're getting. And you can see what everyone's doing. Everything's really clear. Everything's really quick. The dice are lovely. Yeah. Um, and, 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 favorite bit. I mean, it's not my favorite bit, but like this excites me. It's another game that doesn't just have a monk track. It's got a monk matrix on the back. There's yeah. an advanced Ooh. version where you're like moving monks in specific directions. You're, like playing, you're playing snake. You're playing monk snake. So you're moving around <laughs> the grid, but you can't go back and eat your, or your monk tail. You know, I feel like this is one we might come back to at some point. Is this I, your, I was going to say, we, I'd love to. So we're going to roll 
roll on. But uh, uh, is this else. your favourite? Was Biblios Quill and Parchment your favourite roll and write you've played in a while? I think it's more that I've been wanting for a long time a roll and write that was like a bit more interesting and bitey. But every time I get something in front of me that looks like it's going to be that, it always feels like it's gone too far. It's not fun anymore. Whereas it's like, it felt uh, like it had interesting yeah. decisions, yeah, yeah, yeah. but still had all the color and texture. There's actually a lot to talk about. We'll definitely yeah. come okay. back to that on another One podcast. last thing is I probably would say card game Biblios, probably bad. Okay. But cool. I want both of them. Uh, just to close out the podcast then, <laughs> uh, we, we, we spent some time uh, last week with someone who imports a lot of games and uh, is, a, is a real expert, which means that Tom, myself, and Ava got to play three Japanese card games that were three of the cruelest games we've ever played. <laughs> um, and so just as a special treat, um, Tom's going to now talk about Cat in the Box, I'm going to talk about Rico, and Ava's going to talk about Wine the Film, and we're all going to talk about why they were excruciating. With about 101 minute 30 for each of them. Yeah, Go. it's going to be easy. Uh, Cat in the Box is basically a quantum cap-based trick-taking game. Uh, <laughs> you have a hand of cards, and like any other trick-taking game, you're going to play them into tricks. The problem is there are four suits in this game, red, blue, yellow, and green. You'll notice in this picture, or if you're listening at home as I'm saying this, all the cards don't have a color themselves. So what you do is you play a card and you go this. Well, this is the one of blues, of course. And then you place one of your little tokens on that sort of matrix you can see at the top there. Um, and that means that card has been claimed. That card has been played for everyone. Because you just played it, obviously. <laughs> um, the way the game works is you want to play these cards to win a certain number of tricks. You bid on how many you're going to win. So you can see that I have bid that I'm going to win three tricks. And that was a mistake. And every time you play a card, you announce what suit it is. But there's also a point where sometimes you might want to play a card that isn't in the suit. You don't want to follow. So instead, you might play that card and announce that you don't have any blues anymore. Of course, you technically do have a hand full of blues, but they're not blues right now. It's so bizarre. <laughs> so this is making me personally, in my mind, currently go, ah. Yeah, and it was making me do that the entire time. Before it was realized that in this game, when you place these little tokens on this grid that you, where you announce what each card is, that's also an area control game. <laughs> <laughs> so every oh. time, yeah, it's... It's hideous. Wait, so, and then also, don't you you get penalised if you cause a paradox? Oh, yeah. If you ever get into a position where you're forced to play a card that actually doesn't exist, <laughs> you've caused a paradox and all your cards are now worth negative points. <laughs> this is so sharp, though. I would recommend it to like, anyone who likes trick-taking games. It's super cerebral, really weird, and just like, it made me appreciate trick-taking again in a whole new way, as these games often do. That's it's end. great. And paradoxically, Tom's conversation of this does no longer exist. And now we're talking about Rico. Oh, yeah. So Rico, R-E-C-O, I played. Um, there's a new edition that's come out of Japan that's like an anniversary edition. Otherwise, it's quite an old game. And it's a shame that it didn't get picked up because it's a blast. Rico is a game about recycling. Um, it is theoretically a really nice theme. You're trying to take, you know, plastic bottles and, you know, to the plastic bottle recycling center. You're trying to take computers to the electronic recycling center. More mechanically, the way it works is that you're playing on your turn you have to play cards to a recycling center and the cards might have one or two objects so one or two plastic bottles um, and then if you push that hopper over four so if you play a plastic bottle and there's now four plastic bottles you get the, the machine dispenses a little card which is a token saying hey here's a voucher for money because that's how Japan works and that's how you recycle unfortunately when you play a card to a hopper you have to pick up everything beneath that hopper and the number of cards in the hopper is always one more than the number of cards you play long story short it's a game where the message is you can try and recycle but society will always produce more waste than you can recycle cool. practically speaking the reason it was hilarious is because sometimes because the types <laughs> 
were random. <laughs> because the types of things you recycle and the types of cut you pick up were randomized, I would routinely go to a plastic bottle bank and, if, oh, to clarify, if you hold more than five cards, yeah. you drop them as litter. So I would go to the plastic bottle bank to drop off a, <laughs> drop off a bottle, accidentally pick up a fridge and drop it by the side of the road. <laughs> And all the cards you drop are negative points. So I was showing Tom at the end of the game. <laughs> Tom, this is everything I dropped. And it was like two bottles, some glass, a fridge, a washer dryer. Like just I'm leaving this trail of home electronics on, like as I leave the recycling center. I think going, it's some oh, of the no. strongest political game design I've seen in a long time. It's super <laughs> smart. Like, I recycled. I'm a good person. Let's just shut this in a landfill. Uh, it is unfortunate because uh, Rico, the Z-Man version, the version we got in the West, is uh, unbelievably ugly. Yeah. But uh, the versions in Japan are really pretty. So Slick. if you get a chance, good little game to import. Bang, and finally, wind the film. Wind the film. Uh, this is one. <laughs> wind, wind the film is something that you should actually be able to get soon, but it's going to have a worse name. Oh, or at called... least a harder to Google name because it's just called phot Photograph. Yes. Which is less catchy. Um, uh, wind the film is a lovely illustrated little game uh, where you have got. Um, scenes that you are trying to do. You're a photographer and you've got like six different styles of photography that you're trying to chase and everyone's doing this. And each of these styles of photography is a number of cards that goes from one to 12. And you're trying to get some of these and put them in order. And you don't want to like jump too far in the narrative that you're taking the photos of. So you've got to get within three of them. And that's fine. And you've got a hand of cards that you've got to keep in order, except that <laughs> one time when you can wind the film and move a card into your hand into the right place. And Which is easy. It's unbelievable. Do it easily, right? Unbelievable how much that feels like winding film. You go as you pick up a card and slide it forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It feels really good, and you're putting these things in the ground. Oh my word, <laughs> it's horrible. Um, I mean, it's great. I think it's one of the one of the best games that we played um, since we've been. You in folks America, were making actually. some wonderfully horrible noises around the corner and playing. This. Yeah, because. You have this fixed deck of cards that is like, this card is going to come out, and you can move one thing out of the way, so you think that you'll be able to, like, oh, it's fine, I can always control it, but like that is not how this works. Like You will always be being forced to do things in order to set up other things later. You're trying to get things in order. You've got to take cards in a particular way. If you want to put cards out and have them selected, you have to take the same number of cards from the table in the middle, which means you're encouraged to take cards you don't want in order to be able to do the thing you do want. And everything is just setting yourself up for like the tightest, nastiest, horrible trap you could possibly be in. You but end it's up, cute. You end up taking like the worst holiday film ever. You're sort of, oh look, we started here, and then we did this, and then I blacked out for nine hours. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. So yeah. I guess we took all of these in a room when we didn't have a flash on, I guess. <laughs> I guess we took all of these pictures with clowns? Like, I guess <laughs> there's an advanced game where one of the colours, one of the scenes you're shooting is like, becomes, I forget, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but it becomes like a hated memory. <laughs> and it's like you, the photographer, like you do not like looking at that film because you did such a bad job. And it all becomes negative points. Uh, we've all learned something today. Just burn the negatives. It's the only way to be sure. <laughs> um, so that's all the time we have for for our quickfire round of, of card games. Uh, we are Shut Up and Sit Down, and thank you very much for coming to our live podcast. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Woo! Have a good day. Wait, in the, wait, 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 wait. In the...
we've got the outro music, right? Yeah. So when you play to, the podcast we, properly, we talk over this bit until the music actually comes out. We have, oh, yeah, we have great like chats. True, and then it kicks in a little bit. But it's really quite long. It's, got, it's, I quite it's like, really long. I like, knows how long this is because you've yeah. never heard a whole thing. I like editing this bit of the podcast because it's really nice. You hear, you edit the outro yeah, and you kicks in a bit. You hear the lick a bit. You think it's that bit where it gets louder, but no, it's not yet. It's going to get louder. No, it's in a little bit. I apologize. No, but it happens now. No, no, that's no, the first not nice. one. But it just gets sassier as it goes along, which I think is kind of like us. So you know, yeah, I think it's that's like a the rocket. And is it? Is it? Is it now? Oh, no, that was the no, end. We missed it. Oh, quick! <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye.